to episode 90 of Late Night Linux, recorded on the 25th of May, 2020. I'm Joe, and with me are Phelan. Hello. Graham. Hello. And Will. Hello. How are you feeling, Graham? Are you feeling better yet? Oh, yeah. I'm feeling a lot better, thank you. Yeah, I, I'm saying 90% better. Oh, that's good. Well, that means now we can address your trip up to Durham while you were ill then. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I wanted to see if I could see. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was just the Barnard Castle trip. Oh, dear. Bit of politics creeping in there. Anyway, right. Uh, later on, we'll be talking about um, Microsoft loving Linux. There was a lot of that news. But first, let's do some other news. Uh, and the first one is that Linux is back. This is in Munich, where there's been a saga going on for what feels like about 20 years now, where they switched to Linux and open source, and then there was talk about switching back to Microsoft. But the latest wrinkle in this saga is that some lefties have got in, and it looks like they are going to go back to using open source and Linux. I think it's Good news. I, th I say that too often with these stories, but um, I, th I remember with Linux Voice, one of the interviews we did, um, Mike working on Linux Voice is still living in Munich and we went out there and we met with the Linux guys um, back at the time when they were obviously under a lot of pressure, um, I think because of the new mayor and because there's outside, Microsoft brought a lot of outside investment in. And basically, you know how these things are. It's the same, the it's non decisions being made by non-technical people. And I think that was a lot of what seemed to be going on um, outside of the Linux project, although it itself had done very well. Um, so I think it's just great that the, the, I don't know, Prefecture or whatever it is in German is, is, it's still open enough to other options. And I think obviously they're making the best decision if they want to save the taxpayer money. The problem with these sorts of public sector open source engagements um, in my limited experience, but I know a few people who have been in meetings where these sorts of things have been talked about, is that there is always somebody from Microsoft around that table. Um, now, my experience comes from, from the UK specifically, but I'm sure it's no different in Germany. Uh, and, and the deal is that Microsoft have got so many salespeople and such a vested interest in protecting the the business that they built up with governments that they can afford to send groups and groups of people to meetings to offer silly deals. You know, they'll they'll give away Windows for free or they'll give away cloud stuff on Azure for free or, or whatever. They've got a lot of money and a lot of interest in this. Um and this has happened time and time again. And, you know, in Munich, it has happened time and time again. And I worry that, give it a couple of years, a few people would change seats and we'll be going through all the uh, all this all over again. Yeah, and actually what you just said reminded me of the problem that we have here in the UK with, um, with working from home and children being at home for homeschooling. It has been a nightmare trying to navigate the multifarious computer systems that schools use and schools are very much the same kind of thing that they really lack the specific it insight or knowledge or time or maybe lack the ability to make their own decisions to be able to implement something that we all know would work and it would be open source and it would be something that um, would improve everybody's life but instead go for this because of somebody who knows something, implements something, and all the schools buy into it, it's never or seldom the best solution. And I can see that happening at like local council, schooling level, I mean, planning levels as well. 
What we really need is more kickbacks. <laughs> I mean, it's even to the point where I was thinking of trying to come up with something and taking it to the local school because it's so bad. And I know I'm not the only one. Yeah. It's like seven different ways of submitting work, almost as many different ways of re receiving work. And none of it involves actually teaching. I know this is often a bit of a tangent, but I do think the problem's the same. I think the problem's the same with trying to get your local town council to move to trying to convince the average town councillor that they need to use an open source solution. I, I know some of our local town councillors and it would be impossible. Mm. To carry on down that tangent a bit more, um, our school have licensed some workbooks online and you get given a, a link which contains um or to, to a page which contains an extract from a book so maybe 10 pages from a maths book for example and they have licensed or sub-licensed those 10 pages for use by the students and and the parents to you know to teach them and unfortunately this uh, website it is just atrocious. It doesn't embed these pages in a PDF or some kind of standard that you might be able to use. It's a combination of uh, JPEGs with HTML tables laid over the top of them. And so even trying to print this thing out is virtually impossible. <laughs> I spent days and days and days trying to work out how to do it. Finally, I've done it. But you just think this should be a, 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 an email from a teacher with a PDF in it that I can print out and then or, or do it on the screen and done. But no, it's all mired in DRM and people paranoid about teachers or, or students ripping them off and all these kinds of things. And it just frustrates things. It's the, I don't want to say the, the ignorance of the people making the decisions or who are empowered to make the decisions. It's because they know of no other way and we've, we've been bad at communicating it. But, you know, maybe we should revisit the subject in the future um, and, you know, have a proper discussion about it. Yeah. Well, it's ignorance in the truest sense. It's not an insult to say that someone's ignorant. It just means they don't know the information. And in this case, they don't know the information. Yeah. God, you, God you've remind, this is something maybe we could talk about later on with the Microsoft thing, but you've just reminded me the difference between good and evil. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Well, good news. I think uh, we talked about the patent case against GNOME, specifically with Shotwell. It feels like a couple of months ago, but I think it was significantly longer than that. Well, anyway, that has all gone away now. That's all been resolved and in a semi-public way, but not really. And Rothschild Patent Imaging have promised not to enforce their patents against any open source software, anything that's OSI license compliant. So that all seems quite good. And you think, well, that's excellent news. Let's all just forget about it then. But then you remember, well, hang on. GNOME raised $150,000 to fight this in court and said they were going to fight it tooth and nail and not settle. And now they've settled. So uh, what happened to that money? Because it says on the official release, press release by GNOME, uh, GNOME was represented pro bono by a bunch of lawyers. And so where did that 150 grand go? I imagine that they incurred some costs along the way. And I imagine that those costs were not insignificant. I think that will come out in time, but it, the, the the story, the, the the statement that they made on their website just seemed to be lacking a lot of information. It felt like, well, it felt like it because it was, it was a, a sort of prepared statement, presumably written up by the lawyers, uh, which didn't really give any information at all about what had happened behind closed doors, what the agreements, um, what the discussions were. Um, and I don't know, there's something about it which feels like there's more to this story than is being reported. Yeah, and the weird thing is, if you look at LWN, they have um, 
a statement by Neil and he has said, if anybody wants the full statement, email me. And then someone says, can't you just publish it openly? He says, no. I mean, right. what is going on with that? I have no idea, but. Did you email him? No. <laughs> it's all just very strange, really. And it, it seems like it is kind of good news because this one particular company, uh, Rothschild Patent Imaging, is not going to go after any open source projects. But the point of raising all that money was they were going to fight it to the highest court, win, and then put off other patent trolls from suing random open source projects. Whereas now that the, the, the message isn't necessarily that Gnome have won. It's more of a sort of they've settled behind closed doors or whatever. And so it's, it just feels a bit disingenuous, really, that they raised all that money to do that and then didn't come through on their promise. They didn't make good with it. And meanwhile, everyone's like, oh, well, this is all hunky-dory. But to me, it's, it is positive that Gnome didn't get totally fucked by this. But at the same time, they didn't do what they said they were going to do and they haven't fully explained it yet. Maybe they will in time. Uh, and, you know, I'm sure that that 150 grand will be put to good use, but it's not the use that people thought it was going to be by the sounds of things. And yeah, okay, there will have been some legal costs and anything to do with lawyers just costs a shitload and it's just ridiculous. But I don't think it would have cost all of the 150, would it? Hmm. I think you're right. I think there will be more coming out of this story in the coming months. We know Gnome Foundation members and they, they're kind of ordinary people like us and great that they had some pro bono representation, but I, I'd imagine this kind of situation is terrifying and they've probably been presented with some worst case situations and whatever decision they've made behind the doors that they've thought was the best for Gnome and for open source, but they just can't communicate it in that way. Yeah, I mean, I think it could well have cost them millions if it had gone through courts. Yeah. Yeah. So maybe this was the best solution for it and maybe they were just a bit naive at first when they raised that money. Maybe we should have a word with Neil and see if he's able to come on and fill us in. Yeah, yeah, good idea. Okay, this episode is sponsored by DigitalOcean. Go to do.co slash LNL and you can get $50 credit with 30 days to use it. DigitalOcean offers VMs or droplets as they call them with full root access in data centers all around the world with super fast networking and super fast SSDs. You can use a distro like Ubuntu, Fedora, Debian, CentOS, or FreeBSD, or you can even upload your own custom image. Or you can use their one-click apps like BasicLamp and LampStacks, WordPress, Discourse, or GitLab. I've been using DigitalOcean for years now, and in that time, they've added tons of new features, things like managed databases and Kubernetes, object storage, and recently, virtual private cloud, which allows you to create multiple private networks for your account or team. The droplets start from as little as $5 a month, but you can scale them all the way up to 192 gigabytes of RAM with 32 CPU cores and 12 terabytes of storage. But you can add block storage or object storage as you need it. And if you need particularly high amounts of RAM or CPU, they have droplets optimized for that too. So go to do.co slash LNL and get your $50 credit. That's do.co slash LNL. All right, well, something that's definitely good news is that Half-Life Alex is now supported natively on Linux, and you have tried this out, Graham. Yeah, I have. So, I mean, I know I bore you all, especially, especially Joe, about um, how into VR <laughs> I am, virtual reality, and Half-Life Alex is a VR game. And Valve has neglected virtual reality on 
Linux a little bit. The uh, the Steam VR client is a little behind Windows and it doesn't perform as optimally. Um, but this this is fantastic news that Half Life Alex um, with Vulkan support. It's all done using Vulkan. Is basically a first class citizen on Linux. Now it's it's a pain to get it running in Linux. It's a pain to get Steam VR running. You need really good hardware. The VR hardware itself is expensive, and it it doesn't run for me that well. It doesn't run as well for, as it does on Windows. Uh, that was the question. Yeah, what graphics card have you got? I've got a good. NVIDIA graphics card. And I think the problem is actually NVIDIA. Um, a lot of the Vulkan just simply doesn't work or is unsupported on the proprietary NVIDIA drivers. Um, and there's supposedly much better performance with AMD. But in general terms, I get there's, there's, you can actually measure the kind of latency that you get in VR, which is the kind of delay between making a movement in the physical space and seeing all the effects of that movement in, in, VR. Um, yeah, or the puke factor. Yeah. So, you know, it operates on Windows at about a three or four milliseconds latency, which is pretty quick. Um, and on Linux, I'd estimate I'm running at 15 or 20. And yeah, right. I mean, I haven't done any proper measurements with that. And I, I think AMD's the way to go. I think there was even a tweet that suggested that that's what uh, Valve would recommend. And it would be really nice if NVIDIA just kind of embraced Vulkan a little bit more on Linux and, and updated its support. That's quite disappointing that you had such a shit experience there. I was hoping you were going to come on and say, yeah, it was exactly the same. It worked perfectly and Linux for the win. But I suppose it's that old hardware compatibility situation. Yeah, if you'd had a high-end AMD card, you might have been saying that. Instead, you're saying it's unplayably shit, basically, for you. It's not unplayably shit. If I if I wasn't willing to like make the compromise and dual boot to Windows, which I am willing to do, um, a better person than I would be very happy to play Half-Life Alex natively on Linux. <laughs> really? Even with that massive latency? Because yeah. it doesn't sound like much, but um, you know, if you're only talking, well, you, what you said, like at least five times the latency. Well, maybe three or four, but the, also that's part of, that was there before. Um, the Steam VR in general has, for me, has always been a bit like that on Linux. Right. Um, then the native Valve apps, well, Alex is a native Valve apps, but even like we don't have all the same functionality that you get on the Windows version. Um, we don't have the same environments and we don't have the same configuration options in the control panels. I think prob we've got problems here with using Xorg um, and, 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 you know, the, the levels that, these kind of modules sit out in the software stack, which Windows can just cut through. Which Vulkan should hopefully simplify, and so should Wayland. Um, but, you know, it's taken us a long time to get to this point. Yeah. Should have got an AMD card. Should have. Simple solution. <laughs> yeah. All right, good news for you, Phelan, and that is that you can use Gmail in uh, KDE now. Thank God. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> um, no, uh, so Daniel Vertelli finally got through the quagmire bureaucracy that Google had him jumping through to get the OAuth sign-in with Gmail working again. Um, so that's all sorted. And Kmail, contact, etc. will work with that. And it'll both send and receive through that. So happy days for anybody who's having trouble with uh, enabling the less secure version on Gmail. I personally don't care, but there we go. And this even supports two-factor auth. Yeah. So, I mean, if you have disabled the uh, auth function on it, you'll need to switch that back on. Um, it was called the Gmail option. 
Uh, but then someone said, why is it called OAuth 2 in the SMTP section for sending? And he went, oh, you're right. Uh, that's a bit confusing, but it is exactly what it is. So any other mail clients or mail providers that use OAuth 2, um, yeah, you can use them too. It's not just Gmail that is supported, to be honest. So happy days. On to a bit of admin then. And thank you everyone for supporting us on PayPal and Patreon. It's very much appreciated. We've got a thread going on Patreon, ask us anything sensible. So you can ask us those questions. We will be answering them in an upcoming episode. And remember, if you support us for $5 or more on Patreon, you can get an advert-free RSS feed. So check that out at latenightlinux.com slash support. And if you want to get in contact with us, latenightlinux.com slash contact. Okay, this episode is sponsored by Entroware. Go to entroware.com. And they are a dedicated Linux computer seller based here in the UK, and they ship their computers with Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate pre-installed. They have a huge range of laptops, from affordable ones, which are ideal for email and browsing, all the way up to real powerhouses with dedicated graphics and even desktop-class CPUs in them. Almost everything's configurable with the amount of storage and RAM and what CPUs they have. And if you can't find something that's exactly right for you, then do get in contact with them and they'll do you a custom order. They also have a couple of servers and a range of desktops, including a small form factor machine and a really nice all-in-one. They ship to the UK, Republic of Ireland, France, Germany, Italy and Spain. And if you do buy one of the machines, then there's a little drop down at checkout. You can select late night Linux and they'll know that we sent you to them. So go to entroware.com for all your Linux computing needs. So Microsoft... They had their build conference. It was virtual, as everything is these days. And just so much got announced that is to do with Linux. I don't even know where to start. I suppose to give a summary of it, just before build, the president of Microsoft, Brad Smith, said in an interview that um, Microsoft was on the wrong side of open source history and you know was kind of apologizing. And that seemed to be sort of queuing it up for this big announcement. And we got a lot of announcements. The Windows subsystem for Linux 2, WSL 2, is going to have GUI support. So you'll be able to run graphical Linux applications on the Windows desktop with their own Wayland compositor. With DirectX support, they also announced the uh, 1.0 of the terminal, which is open source. There's going to be a package manager on Windows, which is essentially just a a command line interface to the Windows store. So all of that. And then there was also a bit of controversy about um, some toolkit, which they've stolen the name of a KDE project. And then the icing on the cake was that they've open sourced GW Basic from the early 80s, which uh, I put in our notes some useless old guff, um, <laughs> which I think is probably unfair. It's, it's open source for historical purposes. So this is final proof then, apart from that name thing, uh, that Microsoft loves Linux and open source, and so we can all be best friends now, right? Yep, it's all fine. <laughs> <laughs> To start with, I thought it was encouraging that they had seen the error of their ways and were taking steps to, uh, to to fix that. And I thought, well, that's great news. You know, open source has won. And then you see what steps they're taking to uh, to resolve that. And actually, what they're doing is just trampling over everything in their path to get Linux users on the Windows desktop at all costs. I'm amazed. I thought you were going to be all positive. This is brilliant. Right, okay, good. (laughs) Keep going. (laughs) Well, to start with, I thought, 
as the as the pieces of information came out, I thought, okay, this is good. The WSL one with with GUI support confuses me. Um, now, I don't know, a year ago, maybe two years ago, people had got Linux desktop apps running on WSL with um, various Windows X display servers. And, you know, it was working. It was a bit of a hack. It was a bit of fun. Nobody genuinely thought that this would be useful. Or certainly, I didn't think that people would want to run Linux desktop apps on Windows, because why would you? There are already you know millions of windows equivalents or um or alternatives or just the same applications compiled natively for windows so why would you want to do that but seems i was wrong um and that's just i don't know it's weird but who's going to use it and what are they going to use it for the the bigger story here in my opinion is the DirectX on wsl from my point of view, this appears to be uh, in order to appeal to machine learning and AI developers who would be using Linux on the desktop, uh, would be using various Python libraries and um, GPU tools to accelerate all their machine learning. And they would have done that on OpenGL or uh, CUDA or um, maybe if they're doing graphics, they may have even used Vulkan. And now DirectX is coming along and Microsoft appear to be pitching that as a direct competitor that is a danger in my opinion because i think ai ml is a massive growth market for linux and this is a direct reaction to that well that is true that it is a bit of a threat but realistically you know say you've got a 2080 ti or whatever that's going to be pretty powerful and if you can run your machine learning and ai bullshit on that in windows then fair enough but surely if you are very serious about that then you're going to be using cloud instances where you've got multiple GPUs. And that, of course, is going to be running Linux. So, I mean, I suppose the DirectX aspect of it is a bit worrying, but having, you know, GPU pass-through, essentially, where you can access your GPU properly through WSL, most people are still going to be using Linuxy tools to do that, aren't they? Do you, do you really think that they are going to just abandon all all the stuff that they've been using already in the cloud and on their own machine and start using DirectX? It seems a bit unlikely to me. I think Microsoft have got very deep pockets and they have especially good people working on their developer experience story I think that with the resources and the people they've got, they could build a very credible alternative very quickly. And there are a lot more uh, Windows users in the world than there are Linux users. It would very quickly establish itself as the default. But why would they need to use WSL for that? Surely you've got direct hardware access in Windows to your GPU. Surely you could just do all that stuff with the Windows terminal or whatever. So I read a bit of a conspiracy theory about that. And... um if you notice the Google v Oracle API uh, court case that was going on where Oracle want to have APIs copyrightable so Google essentially wouldn't have been able to create their version of Java that runs on Android. Mm. Microsoft, you would imagine, would have sided with Oracle because they don't want things like Wine or you know Samba, things like that, where you know something they perceive to have invented, they can patent and then not let anybody sort of do their own version of it. But they didn't. They sided with Google. 
And the only reason that you'd want to do that is if you want to re-implement somebody else's APIs. And I wonder if that is that they want to, in the long term, re-implement Linux as a, you know, if you've got a binary ABI compatibility layer going on there, then you can just go, ha in the back end, we'll swap that to our own magic thing when we eventually figure it out to do things properly. So, Phelan, you probably have been following this KDE uh, Maui thing more closely. What's all that about? Yeah, so .NET um, on Linux was by Xamarin. The guys who, well, it's Miguel de Gaza and originally Nat Friedman. And they were doing .NET development that you could do on Linux, and that eventually became Mono. And they got bought by Microsoft back in the day, and they became Xamarin, and they continued doing what they're doing. They got rebranded. They have a frame a framework for mobile and uh, application development on PCs, all sorts of stuff, and they've called it Maui. And it stands for something like blah, 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 UI toolkit. I don't care. It's It's a silly name, but it's a silly name that already exists because the Maui project had Maui Kit, and they were themselves the Linux project Maui. And it has also got a toolkit that is used for the very same thing. And there's quite a heated GitHub um, comments on a one of the issues where the guys were annoyed that it had been, you know, clearly they couldn't search. So a very funny post where somebody said that it the reason they couldn't find it is because they used Bing to search for it. But <laughs> they kind of shut it down and said, no, this is this has all been checked. Uh, legal have looked at it. It's all fine. And there's a couple of Microsoft value professional people jumping in one in particular, and they were quite obstinate. And, you know, there was a bit of name calling on it and stuff. And it it was all very unprofessional, to be quite honest. Um, But then, because they're Microsoft employees, they have the advantage that they were able to lock down the thread, lock it down, and said, this is not the place for discussion. We've had this checked out. You can email me. So, I mean, overall, not a great look, I think. I mean, thankfully, one of the links that we have where one of the guys actually screenshot the whole thread. So it's preserved because all the comments were blocked out as well. So, I mean, not stunning, but I mean, it kind of looks a bit like the embrace, extend and extinguish type of look. You know, it it has that look. I'm not trying to make out that they're doing everything out of pure malice. But when you get all these things together, they have a sort of a death by a thousand cuts look to it. I think we should expect this because a lot of the way that open source and Linux works is the right way of doing it. And I feel like big corporations like Microsoft have been obstinately not doing that. Um, and it's almost like they've just discovered it. This is the right way of doing things. And this is the best way for them to head off what they may see as a, as a huge competitor in five or 10 years. And so this is something that I think we have to absorb and kind of learn from and improve our own, um, our own. I mean, it's, yeah, I don't want to make it so personable. Um, but it's a, it's a way where we have to, the open source community, the Linux community has to up its game. And um, because everything that Microsoft appears to be doing to me is right. I mean, for its own sake, for its own survival, these are the, these are good decisions from a company perspective, from Microsoft's perspective. And it's endorsing the way that many of us have worked for 10 or 20 years. Yeah, I think you're completely right, because especially if you look at one of the infographics that they released during the talk where it says, um, I heard about SQL, can it run on Linux? And even the stats where they say it's like it's three times faster and 67% cheaper than the competition. What fucking competition? Oracle? Like, you know, where you parachute the Oracle engineers in to save you. 
I think we're, I think we're very much we're being played a bit because if you speak up about this, you're seen as zealot, neckbeard. You know, oh, you use dollar sign, fucking MS dollar sign, whatever. <laughs> you know, you can't you can't be critical of it almost at this point. It's like. You know, if if you're not a free software advocate and you go, oh, yeah, I really love the way we're being hearted by Microsoft right now. If you don't agree with that, then you're seen as the exact antithesis of that. And imagine the absurdity that Microsoft came along to help the wine developers make wine perfect. That's how it feels the way we're kind of helping them beat, our, beat us with our own stick. Like. So Linux has got, let's say, a 10-year head start on Microsoft that we've been doing things this way for, you know, forever. And now Microsoft have turned that corner and uh, are on the same train track now and they're closing down. Do you think that Linux can stay ahead or do you think that we're going to be caught up and overtaken? Oh, that's a good question. I've been I've been wrestling with that very thought in my own head. Um, and I think... If we're not careful, Microsoft will overtake us and subvert the innovation. Mm. And, but that's a challenge. That's not a threat. Mm. And the challenge, I think, for the Linux and open source community is finding a way of coming together in a way that can meaningfully attack or meaningfully compete with this kind of challenge. Mm. But how can we do that when the most popular desktop Linux distro by orders of magnitude is working with Microsoft and doing all of that stuff that Phelan just said, like helping them um, beat us, you know, giving them the stick to beat us with. Like surely, you know, there's all this talk about what if we only had one distro? Well, that obviously should be Ubuntu because it is, you know, in the millions of users, whereas the others are probably in the hundreds of thousands. But if Canonical is working with Microsoft for fairly sound at least short to midterm commercial reasons, then what's the option? Like, do you, do you try and rally around Manjaro or something like that? It just seems that that's such a minority distro compared to the mainstream, well, relatively mainstream one of Ubuntu. It, it just seems like we, we don't really have a chance. Like, this, this has happened. It's not like it's even happening. It has happened now that Microsoft has just taken all of the attractive and uh, profitable bits of Linux and stuck it either in the cloud or in Windows. And and what are we left with? We're left with a great ecosystem that we can just say, fuck you, we don't care about you, Microsoft. But at the same time, they're still profiting off what we have been doing for 20-odd years. They're not profiting. It's precisely what the license allows. This is exactly why the license is successful and why it's been able to flourish in the way that it has. Mm. This is what it's for. It's for Microsoft to do precisely this. I think it is, but I, I, the nefarious sort of aspect, I think, is the fact that if they can do damage to us at the same time taking advantage of that without giving direct contribution back. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's great that they build these various bits and pieces where you can run the applications. And if you're a Windows developer and you need to run stuff on a Linux server, I'm very happy for you. It's great that you do that. But equally, what is it going to do for people like Creta Project, for instance, that managed to finally make some money with the Windows Store? Are they now going to be sort of subverted from making that cash because the application can be apt installable mm. through the Windows side of things. I don't know. I mean... Well, we, we touched on this uh, a few weeks back when we talked about the difference between open source applications and open source operating systems. 
Will we get to a point where the Windows desktop operating system is seen alongside, for example, BSD as another way of doing things, but basically the software is all the same? And is that acceptable? If I was an Office user, uh, uh, by which I mean uh, I went to an office and sat in front of my computer and typed letters all day, would I care about this sort of thing? No, not really. So is it acceptable to the open source community that open source software has a potential bigger install base versus just running on Linux or BSD or whatever, let's say? You know, is that is that still a win for open source software? And I think it probably is, but I don't know that that's the answer we're looking for. Just you wait till Snap start working on WSL. Hmm. A, a very simple and perhaps naive way of looking at this is that if anybody has an application that isn't open source, that they could try an open source version of and lend their weight behind that project, the likes of using VS Code, well, try use Kate, try use GNOME Code, whatever the heck that's called. You know, try and lend your weight behind projects like that. I mean, I think things like OSX did damage to the Linux ecosystem, the fact that it was a very good Unix that had a very good GUI, that people could get stuff done and took people who potentially could have used GNOME or KDE or whatever. I think it's important to try where you can to, to maybe sub in a few applications and support the uh, the open side of the, the camp. Yeah, well, you've hinted at it there, but this is really what the play is. Like, we think that we're being attacked here, or some people do, but the reality is this is Microsoft going after Apple. It's offering all of the proprietary software and gaming and whatever you want on Windows, as well as a first-class Unix-like experience, in this case, rather than a BSD Type 1 Linux, and allowing developers and sysadmins or whatever to have proper um, tools that will compete with Mac OS. And we were never even really, you know, as desktop Linux users, we're never really in the game there. Because, you know, try making your printer work. Okay, yeah, I know people say that, whatever. But I have to use my old Mac to make my printer work. Try playing Half-Life Alex, whatever, if you've got the wrong graphics card. Whereas things just work on Windows. And, you know, try try getting Logic Pro or Final Cut working or whatever. I mean, they're not great examples because they're not available on Windows. But, you know, proper tools like Premiere or whatever, or Photoshop. I think that is ultimately who they're going after, the market they're going after. And uh, they're sort of using all the great stuff about Linux to do it. So in a way, it's a win, but it's a kind of hollow victory, maybe. I think you've hit the nail on the head there. All right. Well, we better get out of here then while I've uh, been proven to be right. (laughs) (laughs) So we'll be back in a couple of weeks when we'll probably be doing uh, some of the Ask Us Anything Sensible questions. But until then, I've been Joe. I've been Phelan. I've been Graham. And I've been Will. See you later.